We're starting a mini-series today on the theme of worship, which actually follows on from some excellent teaching in previous weeks from Ruth Hetler and Lizzie Green. If you weren't around for those two weeks, I'd thoroughly recommend listening again online to those talks. Ruth shared from Genesis 26 about opening up wells, fresh wells of life in God and unblocking old wells. And when when the prophets speak to us, we do well to listen. And I feel like after that talk, maybe Ruth opened up a bit of a theme for us, of us want, God wanting us to go deeper in our life with him. And that theme's actually come out again this morning, hasn't it? For us to find ourselves and put ourselves in God's river again. And uh, we're really looking to kind of pick up on that theme over these next few weeks as we look at the, the topic of worship Um, Last week, Lizzie Green spoke on the importance of spiritual disciplines as a way of us finding God's life and actually sustaining God's life in the midst of the everyday. Um, Again, just really great practical teaching on how we can encounter God, not just here on a Sunday morning, but each day of the week. Um, Really important. So today's talk is entitled, Worshipping God gathering and going. Uh, Next week, as Mark said, Steve's going to speak about going as worshippers. In a couple of weeks' time, Keith's going to be speaking on gathering as worshippers. And today, we really want to see the two connected, gathering as worshippers and going. And, you know, connections are really important. I've been thinking about connections. And uh, I remember the time when we had a dodgy uh, bathroom switch. So when you pulled it, not, the, the, the light wouldn't always go on. And we had this guy coming over from the States called Dave Perry to come and interview at our Bible college to come for a job. And he, he came to stay at our house. So kind of the first time of meeting Dave properly and all the rest of it. And then we had this dodgy bathroom switch. And I'd forgotten to tell Dave about this switch. And obviously, as we didn't know each other too well, we were sort of finding out a bit. And... Um, it was time for bed. Dave was quite tired after his jet lag and all the rest of it. It was dark. And um, I just heard him sort of fumbling around in the bathroom for a while, thinking, oh, no, now what do we do? Dave's in the bathroom doing whatever he was trying to do in the dark. Um, so I go and find a torch and um, kind of meet Dave in the hallway. He's in his pyjamas. I'm in my pyjamas with a torch shining in his eyes. And this was our sort of first impressions of one another. Um, actually, we've gone on to build a really good friendship since then, but it did make me fix, fix the switch pretty quickly. Um, so connections are really important. If you have a, a Bible, please turn to Romans 11. So we're going to see together something of the importance of good connections when it comes to worship, connecting with God in the gathering and then connecting what we do here with everyday life. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counsellor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Therefore, I urge you, brothers 
and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing and perfect will. The first thing we learn in this passage about worship is that worship includes both revelation and response. Revelation and response. God reveals and we respond. We only know God because he's chosen to reveal himself to us. God the Father desires to be known. He's made himself known most clearly in his Son. And also he's given us the gift of his Holy Spirit who opens our eyes to the wonder of who God is. Theologian Tom Wright says that Romans is all about the one God and what he has done and the only appropriate response is to worship God with the totality of oneself. In this letter, uh, the Apostle Paul serves up kind of the biggest, fattest, juiciest steak of theology that he can kind of rustle up and he sets out his understanding of who God is, what he's done for us and calls us to a new life of allegiance to God. He describes how in Christ God has rescued us from the mess that we've got ourselves in, how he's brought us back into right relationship with himself through sending his son to deal with sin and through his death and resurrection He reveals the riches of God's amazing grace and the extravagance of his mercy. And if that wasn't enough, um, the good news gets even better because he describes how God's given us the gift of his Holy Spirit to empower us to live the kind of life that he intends us to live all along and how he's included us in his family. We're part of God's family here on earth. And after 11 chapters of setting out all this theology... All he can do is to burst into praise. All the depths of the riches and wisdom of God. How unsearchable his judgments and paths beyond tracing out. From him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. There comes a time when we just need to sing. When we just need to sing. Uh, A number of us will be familiar with um, a famous kind of preach by a guy called Dr. Lockridge where he describes who God is. He's the God of the ages. He's the Alpha. He's the Omega. He's the sinner's saviour. And he goes on like this. And after about 10 minutes, he says, I wish I could describe him to you. Um, That's kind of like what Paul's doing in Romans. Revelation and response. He's revealing to us who God is so that we might respond. And the only response when we see, the only appropriate response when we see who God is, is to respond with the entirety of our lives. So let's remind us what God has done. Just put slide three up there for a minute. At the beginning of Romans, wrong worship, which is called idolatry, puts other things in the place of God. They were worshipping created things rather than the creator. So Paul puts the problem of the world's sin in worship terms. People have exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And in Romans 3, he gives the solution in worship terms as he explains how we are made right with God. Actually, Jesus' death on the cross 
was the perfect act of worship and enables us to get right what we never could by ourselves. Jesus enables us to offer right worship to God. At the cross, God redeemed his people. He, he brought them back. He made an end to slavery and he brought the beginning of new resurrection life in Christ. So through his death, through his resurrection, Jesus frees us to worship God in a whole new way. And now in Romans 12, Paul calls his readers to live out the Christian life in worship terms. So wrong worship led to wrong ways of living. Right worship leads to right ways of living. In Romans 1, we have the wrath of God being revealed against evil in the world. In Romans 12, we have God's mercy being poured out. It's all because of Jesus and the difference that he makes. In Romans 1, people neither glorified nor God nor gave thanks to him. But now in Romans 12, we offer ourselves as holy and pleasing to God. A right response from a grateful people. Before, we were given over by God to the degrading of our bodies. Now we're called to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. In Romans 1, we had a depraved mind. Now God, by his spirit, renews our minds. Once we did not think it worthwhile to retain knowledge of God, but now we are able to test and approve what God's will is. Jesus changes everything. This is the difference. Just one touch from the king we sing, don't we? And uh, this is the difference that Jesus makes, that we can worship God. So worship starts with God. It's a gifted response to what we see of him and to what he's revealed of himself to us. And the gift of worship is that all of us here today can draw near to the Father through the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. So worship doesn't depend on how good we're feeling today. Actually, God's done it all already and is doing it all. And all we're called to do is to enter into that life that they have together, empowered by the Holy Spirit. So the Christian life is right worship lived out in a wrong world and singing a new song with our lives. That's the first point. God reveals and we respond. Secondly, transforming worship. I want us to see something together of the transforming power of worship. And we've experienced some of that here this morning, haven't we, as we've come to God afresh today. Um, I want to make you a promise this morning, and it's this. If we start seeing everything as worship, so not just half past ten on a Sunday morning, but everything as worship, it will transform the way that we live. It will transform your life. How's that going to happen, you might ask? Um, Because some of us just see, when we say worship, we think of this, don't we? The kind of the singing bit in church. But worship is much bigger than that. Next slide. Um, This isn't quite what I mean. It's getting there, because he's worshipping kind of outside the four walls of this building. But... What I'm saying is, if we start seeing everything as worship, every act, every thought, every decision, everything we do as worship, it will transform our lives. Eugene Peterson says that worship is the place where we have our lives redefined, where we remember who God is and put him in his rightful place. In order to understand how this transformation takes place, I'm just going to do a brief kind of language lesson that will set us up for the next 
few weeks. Um, so remember the importance of connections, gathering and going. And we're going to look at two New Testament words for worship. We're all theologians here. Um, so there's these two words in the Bible that are used for worship. One is proscunio and one is latrio. They sound like Italian footballers to me as well. Um, Latrio plays for Inter Milan and Proscunio, who's the sweeper for Juventus. Um, anyway, these, the word Proscunio means, and basically it's two words joined together, meaning movement towards. Um, pros meaning movement towards. Cuneo, I kiss. So together, I come towards to kiss. Um, not talking about a kind of romantic kind of kiss, but um, many of us, I guess, hopefully, probably all of us, watched the Royal Wedding a couple of months ago. Do we remember that? Seems like a while ago now, doesn't it? Um, there were some fantastic moments, I thought. Actually, this passage from Romans was read. And um, there was also the moment when Prince Charles kissed um, the Queen's hand. Here we go. Um, and it was basically a sign of um, loyalty or obedience and honouring royalty. Um, the sense of the lesser person, and even Prince Charles is a lesser person than the Queen, um, acknowledging the worth of someone who's higher than them. Um, so it's a sign of reverence. Apparently when Tony Blair tried this, after he'd become Prime Minister, he sort of tripped on the carpet on the way to kiss the Queen's hand and sort of grabbed her a bit too fiercely. There started a wonderful relationship. Um, but proscunio speaks of worship being about honour and awe and a place of both, you think about a kiss it's, it's a thing of intimacy isn't it so it is about intimacy but honour and of putting God first and the incredible thing is whilst most of us don't get to meet royalty our king welcomes all of us into his courts in this incredible intimate way um, and that's um, just an incredible gift for us, regardless of social standing or status. All of us are welcomed as worshippers. So as well as this kind of worship, worship in a more formal sense, I guess, like what we've been doing here on a Sunday morning, um, we also recognise that we've been created to worship God 24-7. Because just like everything that we want to give to God can't be contained in an hour on a Sunday morning, can it? So there's this other word used for worship, which carries a sense of serving and service, latrio. Um, but I wonder if there's, for some of us, there might be a bit of a disconnect between proscuneo and latrio. We can either see worship as the singing bit and then kind of get on with our lives the rest of the week without much reference to God. Um, or some of us might see, because worship's about everything, well, church doesn't really matter. Um, I'm preaching to the converted here because you're all here. But um, there's lots of people who are disconnected from God's church because they don't understand the importance of gathering together as God's people like this. Worship is both. It's both about gathering together as God's people and going with his presence. Um, both aspects of worship are vital if we're to live life as God intends. They go together. Proscuneo and Latrio, gathering and going, 
just like we put together strawberries and cream, rain and Wimbledon, you two in Glastonbury, they totally go together. And when we start seeing them together, life starts flowing as God intends it to be. Um, an incredible thing happens. And what, we, what I think we all desire, for the life of God to flow here and to flood out uh, through our missional communities, uh, into our neighbourhoods, into our schools, into our colleges, into our workplaces. When we start seeing these two things have connected, I think something incredible starts to happen. And there is this cycle of worship that I believe that God has created us for and the, that he wants us to get into which involves us seeing something fresh of God as we sing together, as we hear God's word proclaimed here, and we sing about it, and we proclaim it, and we're sent forth into the world to serve him, latreo, worship him through the entirety of our lives in the week. And then when we get back here on a Sunday morning, because we're full of the life of God and incredible things have happened, We're testifying to what we've seen of him and what we know of him. And that then fuels our worship on a Sunday morning. So I think there's this cycle of worship that God wants us to get into. Proscunio and Latrio, gathering and going. That will just lead to the life of God flowing in incredible ways. When we see something fresh of God, our response is to sing about it, to shout about it, to proclaim it. And from this place, after we've gathered, we should want to sing about it for the rest of the week as well. So worship involves adoration and action with the entirety of our lives. The turning point of the entire book of Romans is a little word, therefore, at the start of chapter 12. Therefore, in light of everything that Paul's been saying, therefore... This is how you should live. Here's the difference that Jesus makes, and this is how you should live. I'm going to hand over to Gaynor to share the most important part. So I want to take us back to, uh, to Romans 12. I'm just going to pick up on some of the things that Simon has talked about already, and really to try and bring that into our everyday life, because God wants to be in our everyday life. I'm going to read Romans 12, 1 to 2, but I'm going to read it from the message because this is really my springboard uh, for what I want to share before we have some opportunity to really respond and to do it. I always think, how can we um, you know, talk about worship and not do it? <laughs> it's the strawberries without the cream, really, isn't it? So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God, and you'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognise what he wants from you and quickly respond to it, unlike the culture around you always dragging you down to its level of immaturity God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. So how do we do this then? What is our response to his revelation? And it's great this morning. God has revealed himself to us already. He's revealed himself through prophetic words. We've been singing about his son, Jesus. We've had an opportunity to be filled with the spirit. 
So that's three different revelations that we've had of God just this morning in the last hour or so already. And I'm trusting as well that God has been revealing himself to us in our week as well. Now, this may come as some surprise to some of you, but I do not wake up speaking in tongues. (laughs) Um, And, uh, you know, in fact, sometimes... I don't even wake up saying anything at all because I need a coffee first. But, um, you know, many of you will know that Simon and I and our family are in the process of moving house. And um, can I just say that uh, this sort of uh, thing that you get, you know, just the whole thing of transition and change and putting a house on the market and tidying the house to make it actually look decent for people who might want to buy it, it can be a little bit strenuous and stressful at times and can I just say that I have been known once or twice to uh, you know to offer some comments and statements to Simon that are a little bit unbridled and um, (laughs) possibly not sweetness and light and uh, you know we have had some heated discussions can I say but it's fine because actually you know we're covenanted to each other in marriage so in the general scheme of things things are really good but we've had some of these moments I'm not afraid to say in the past couple of weeks and we had one of these moments which basically I ended up stewing stewing in a whole load of self-pity and if only he knew how wrong he was and if only he knew how right I was, and I'm pretty much always right, and I was right three weeks ago, which probably means I'm right now, and all this sort of stuff. And, you know, it's funny, when the psalmist talks about, you lifted me out of the pit, often we think about the pit as being our life before we met Jesus, and, you know, all the sort of bad things that we used to do. But tell you what, I've, you know, the pit is still there for me. <laughs> it's right next to me. And I have several pits, but, you know, one of my pit is a stewing pit, and, a, you know, and poor little old me pit. And I was in the pit and, you know, stewing there. And I thought, actually, Lord, I'm not going to, I cannot climb out of this. I need to do something. I need to just, you know, go and do something that will focus my attention on you and just lift my gaze. And I just went into the study and put a CD on, you know, in, my, in a stewing state. I can still press play on the CD player. <laughs> and five minutes later, praise God, I wasn't stewing and, you know, God lifted me again from that pit. It's about letting God help us to respond to the revelation. That's what I'm really trying to say. And not trying to climb out ourselves, but asking God to help us and to give us that new perspective. Here's a few things that we can do to let God help us to respond. First of all, to believe that God is who he says in his word. And I'm really hoping that as God's people, every week we come to a place where we say... Okay, Lord, you say you're this. I don't know if I 100% believe it, but I'm going to choose to believe it. I'm going to put my neck on the block, and I'm going to stick, stick my neck out. I'm going to take a gamble, and I'm going to believe that you are who you say you are. Second thing is about being filled with the Spirit. Brilliant. We've had a chance again to be filled. And uh, I'm just, actually, I'm just going to ask George to show just a quick... A video clip, if you could, George, of um, yeah, of uh, of somebody who we might know. <laughs> the Living Water presents Real Men of Jesus. Real 
man of Jesus. Today we look to you, Mr. Four-Hour Quiet Time Guy. Mr. Four-Hour Quiet Time Guy. You read Carry Your Cross Daily and commit a sixth of your daily to just that. Four times six is 24. Some would say two hours is pushing it. You say, I've come this far. Why not go two more? Your star. Unrivaled in your meditations, you even find revelation in analyzing the genealogies of Israel. David begat Solomon. And who could forget? Enoch begat Methuselah. Reading, praying, and reading some more. That's your kind of worship. And don't let anyone else tell you otherwise. Mr. Four-Hour Quiet Time Guy. (laughs) Mr. Four-Hour Quiet Time Guy. And, you know, if you do manage to have a four-hour quiet time each day, I am totally not knocking that. I'm amazed that you can do it. But, uh, you know, I'm not knocking that. And I'm not saying that's bad. That's good. But I believe that's not enough. And I believe that there's possibly a depth missing there as well from this guy here and you know there is a bit of a whiff of trying to do it himself isn't there and get to God on his own terms now some of us might be thinking yeah but you know this kind of worship you know 24 7 as a lifestyle I don't want to get super spiritual with it all and uh, you know one of the things I want to say to us this morning is actually we are super spiritual whether we like it or not Because we're super, because in the kind of, you know, in the original sense of the word super, if you accept Jesus Christ as your saving Lord, you are living in another dimension. You know, you're living on a super dimension. You're going from black and white to colour. You're going to a different level, to a different place. In fact, you're in the kingdom of God, whereas before you were outside the kingdom of God. So we are super people. And... Having believed, you were marked in him with the promised Holy Spirit, the seal of what is to come. You are spiritual. You're full of the spirit. You're spiritual. You're being made holy as well and being transformed by the power of the spirit. So I want to encourage you, if this week you get to that point of thinking, oh, I don't want to be super spiritual about this, I'd encourage you to tell yourself, but I am super spiritual (laughs) in a positive way. So believing that God is who he, it, who he says he is in his word, being filled with the spirit and not being afraid to be super spiritual, you know the way in which I'm saying that, and of course letting others walk with us in maturity, trying to do it on our own, locked in our bedroom for four hours a day, I don't believe that's God's way of growing us into spiritual maturity so that we eat meat and don't keep drinking milk our whole lives. Um, If you could put the next slide up, that would be great. Uh, Great. Yeah, just have a look at some of these things. And a question for you. Have you done any of these in the last two weeks? Just have a little look down the list. Have you done any of these in the last two weeks? Okay, if you could just give me a really encouraging wave if you've done one of these things in the last two weeks. Brilliant! Absolutely brilliant. Now, the other, last weekend I was talking to a man who is part of another Salt and Light Church and he's, uh, he helps to lead a course called Celebrate Recovery which is advertised as a course to help people to deal with their habits, hang-ups and hurts. 
essentially is Romans 12, being transformed by the renewal of your mind. And he said this phrase to me, I can't even remember why we got on to talking about it, we were just talk, you know, getting to know each other, and uh, he started to tell me about one of the stages in Celebrate Recovery. There are 12 steps, and it's this stage. Celebrate Recovery Step 11 says this, I seek through prayer and meditation to improve my conscious contact with God, praying only for knowledge of his will for me and power to carry that out. And it was this phrase, conscious contact, that really hit me. Colossians 3 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, not just sit there like a flat glass of Coke, but to dwell in you and to influence your life and influence every single corner and every square centimetre of your life. And it's the conscious contact with God that makes a difference. I actually believe that potentially these could be acts of worship. They could just be things that we do and everyday things. But if we actually make conscious contact with God in these things, I believe they can be acts of worship. So what I want to encourage you about is, you know, when you're doing these sorts of things, don't just assume that they're everyday things. But, you know, if you're moved by a piece of music, you know, let God into that. You know, say to God about what's going on in you. Decluttering your house is a good one, isn't it? You know, is God trying to say something to you through that? Um, and all those sorts of things. It's the conscious contact which makes the difference between just having everyday acts in our lives, but actually making these into acts of worship and allowing God to enter these things. So many times we put a divide between our everyday lives and our relationship with God. And perhaps some of us are looking at that list and thinking, mm, that's got nothing to do with God. But I actually believe that potentially these can have many things to do with our contact with God, our conscious contact in the week. Simon has said, embracing what God has done for us and bringing our story into his story is important. Now, I really like a film that is a story within a story. Does anybody else like a film that's a story within a story? Inception is one of my favourite films. I don't know if you've seen that. It's actually a film about a dream within a dream within a dream within a dream within a dream. And I managed to stick there at the end. And uh, here are some other ones that we might have seen. The Truman Show, French Lieutenant's Woman, Tropic Thunder, Blazing Saddles, that's an old one. Hamlet, slightly older one. Uh, Big Fish, The Princess Bride. There are lots of different films which are a story within a story. And there's God's story and there's my life. And sometimes it's like, you know, never the two shall meet. My story is so different from your story, Lord. But I believe God wants to say to, particularly to a few people here this morning, do you know what? Your story totally fits with mine. There's your story and there's my story. They're not the same, but they totally fit together. Your story does fit with God's story. And I believe that God wants to encourage us to place our story within the framework and within the context of God's story There are two thought paths that we often face, possibly daily. One is, because I'm a Christian, I ought to say that, look like that, do that, wear that, talk to that person. There's another statement, because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, I can say that, think that, go to that place. 
And can I be really honest? I would really love to get rid of that first one. (laughs) Because I don't see it anywhere in the scriptures. Because I'm a Christian, because I have affiliated myself with a movement, because I have put a label upon myself, I should or I ought to. And the difference between, because of you, Jesus, I can do this. The first one is not identity. That's not identity in Christ. Because I'm a Christian, I ought to do this. And I should be doing this. But the second one is identity in Christ. Because of your death, Lord, because of who you are, I can do this. I can live this way. I can have conscious contact with you every day. It is in view of God's mercy that we can have conscious contact, that we can kiss his hand, that we can serve him and love him as well. Living lives of well-formed maturity is what we all want. And what's the solution to the question which we all ask? Who am I? What am I doing? And do you really like me, God? Part of that is receiving the revelation. I remember when I was a young Christian, worshipping like this, and these two ladies who were sort of secretly brimming with the spirit in a church that didn't really want to acknowledge the activity of the spirit, <laughs> came up to me, and they just turned my hands like that. And it was so powerful. And still, you know, 25 years later, I'm having to do that consciously. Not subconsciously, consciously with my will, through my spirit, into my hands, <laughs> which is actually, of course, you know, an expression of what is going on in my spirit. I'm not just trying to do stuff for you, Lord, but actually I'm wanting to receive from you and to feed from you and to drink from you and to get what you want to give me, Lord. Testing and approving God's will. I had the phrase rapid response and I kind of Googled it and, of course, loads of things came up, you know, stuff to do with the NHS and mostly car rental companies and pickup trucks and (laughs) all these sorts of things but I really felt that you know God wants to live what God wants us to live our lives as rapid response recognizing what God wants to do in you and responding to it quickly rapid response not just about knowing the theory but being able in real time to see him and to respond to him as a full package, not just separated by three weeks, looking back thinking, oh, three weeks ago, I wish I'd done that. I wish I'd said that. I wish I'd prayed that. I wish I'd grabbed that person and said help to them. But just bringing those two things together in a rapid response package. We see God, and we know what to do, and we do it. That's spiritual maturity. Testing and approving God's will. Well, the proof is in the living, of course. (laughs) Um, And I believe it works. But, you know, the real proof for us, what we're talking about today, is going to be at 12.31, isn't it? It's going to be, which apparently is the most depressing time of the week, 10 o'clock on Tuesday morning. (laughs) That's officially the most depressing time of the week. You know, the test is for us. Have a think. Where are you going to be at 10 o'clock on Tuesday? Are you going to be making conscious contact with God? So I'd really like us to spend a bit of time in uh, responding, and uh, I've got some, um, some kind of stations and zones for us, which are really based around some of these things in this message translation of Romans 12, the first couple of verses. 
so I'd like to give us, uh, you know, a good 10, 15 minutes to respond and to, I'd like to say, practice our conscious contact. But there's no such thing as practicing it. We're either doing it. We're either going towards God or we're walking away. There's no grey. There's no neutral. There's no fence. <laughs> we're either doing it or we're not doing it. So I'd like us to, but just to kind of get into the rhythm of connecting with God in the everyday. But really, my heart is for you to be doing whatever you need to do at 10 o'clock on a Tuesday morning. So it's great that we've talked about eating about three times during this morning already. So I've got a station over here, which is about encountering God through eating. And <laughs> I know what you're all thinking, you shallow bunch. And uh, I've got another station over here, which is about encountering God in the created order. And another one here about encountering God in Sabbath and in rest. If you want to lie down over there, please do that. And another one over here about encountering God and consciously making contact with God in work or in your employment in the workplace, wherever that may be and whatever that might look like. So it's a couple of house rules, which hopefully are not rules, are actually freedom givers. Um, the first one is <laughs> the first one is you can go to anyone in any particular order for any sort of time that you like. If you want to visit one for 20, the whole of the 20 minutes, do that. Or if you want to make your way around all of them, you're welcome to do that. Please don't feel... The other one is... So that's time. And the other one is talk. And um, please don't feel like you need to go into an unusually holy hush doing these sorts of things. I would encourage you to talk as well and to talk to each other, to grab someone and say, hey, what do you think? You know, what's your life look like? What's contact look like for you in this area? To talk a bit, but also to talk to God as well and to pray, to pray maybe in twos or threes if you want to do that as well. So time and talk. And as you go around as well, as well as those four stations, I'm going to put some, uh, some soundtrack on as well for us to help us to just receive again from God. And uh, on several of the pillars here, this one, this one, over by the PA desk and just over here, there's also a short hand meditation to help us to release anxieties to God. And, you know, I, I will have an anxious moment this week and an anxiety this week about something. And there's a choice there about whether I go down into the pit or whether I release that to God. So hopefully that's just encouraging you and helping you to get into the habit of actually releasing anxieties to God and letting him into those. So as you kind of walk around from station to station, you can just stop there for a minute and, and do that as well. And then Mark will kind of draw us back together again. So, um, yeah, so I just want to invite you to stand and uh, to just go make conscious contact with God and uh, to, you know, yeah... Just to do that, and then Mark will kind of draw us back again at the end. You are Lord Jesus Christ, at your Father's right hand. You are Son of God, risen from. 